Welcome to Woke Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Stanford. As a physicist and structural engineer in training with Jacobs Engineering, I have made many connections with some bright individuals who are either working, studying, or self-taught and passionate about our particular topics of discussion. And I bet you've guessed it by now, this podcast is all about women in STEM. Women in STEM is absolutely paramount to the further success of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. It is mission critical to have different perspectives in the process of the scientific method. When you have a closed room with a narrow-minded approach, a lot of concepts can become neglected by human nature. With a more diverse crowd, there is no limit for humanity. And as a society, we need women to continue to pour into the STEM fields. We plan to discuss past and present examples of female achievements in STEM fields, the importance of having female involvement, and the outlook for the future. And then at the end of the podcast, our guest stars will be giving advice to women pursuing STEM careers and their supporting cast for these women. Speaking of our guest stars, let me introduce them to you. First, we have Eva Beeching. Eva graduated with a BS in computational physics in May of 2021 from Slippery Rock University. Currently, she is pursuing a PhD in applied physics and material science at Northern Arizona University. Eva is also a researcher at the Center for Materials and Interfaces Research and Applications, or MIRA, where she works on gold nanoclusters for biological systems. Next is Shelby Schreckenberg. Shelby is a student at Missouri University of Science and Technology, pursuing a dual bachelor's in aerospace and mechanical engineering. If that wasn't cool enough for you, Shelby is also a NASA intern. She helps NASA ensure each part in her division is prepared for space by checking its testing status and allocating the aerospace parts to their particular mission. And last but not least, Anna Will. Anna has a Bachelor's of Science in Chemistry with a focus in Biochemistry from Slippery Rock University. Right now, she is a second-year student at West Coast University in Los Angeles, California, pursuing a doctorate in Pharmacy. Anna was actively involved in undergrad research at Slippery Rock that heavily involved organic chemistry. In her short time at West Coast University, she has held multiple leadership positions in their School of Pharmacy. So now that I've introduced you to the topic of discussion and my amazing cast of guest stars, we're going to jump into our first commercial break, but please hang around because in the first segment, we plan to talk about the history of women in STEM. So stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first segment of Women in STEM. This is such an exciting episode to be a part of, and I wanted to start off by saying thanks to my guest stars for being on the show. So this is a really important topic, so I appreciate you jumping on board to talk about women in STEM. Now, I'm curious, why did all of you choose to pursue a STEM career? Yeah, I chose STEM just because I've loved space since I was younger, and I've always felt like that was what I was called to do. And then growing up working on cars, I knew that engineering was the best way for me to go because I was very much of a leader. Also, I loved a hands-on experience, and I just kind of was able to form myself into both my love for space and my love for working on things into engineering. That's really cool. All right, Eva, how about you? Yeah, so kind of similar. I, I always grew up around science and it was just something that was kind of intrinsic in my everyday life. As I was going to like pursue higher education, I always thought that if I could get a really good understanding of the in-depth parts of the universe, like the physical parts of the universe and explain that, everything else would make a lot of sense. <laughs> and I don't know if that ended up being true necessarily, but it's definitely a field that I just never get tired of. Like I can just pour myself into physics and science and all that and never get bored. So that's why I love it. 
Yeah, definitely starting out microscopic to put it to macroscopic is a good way to go about that. I do that in engineering. Anna, why did you pursue STEM? So well, it all started when I was younger, like my family. I have a lot of family in STEM. So that kind of just always was an interest just by seeing my family like go to work every day, just listening to like what they talk about. But then, you know, I went through high school, I started college and I actually started as a recreational therapy major because I like totally changed paths from what I originally thought I wanted to do. Cause I just honestly didn't feel like I was capable enough to like handle a STEM major, like chemistry or biology or like heavy anything in math. But um, the only class that I was really engaged in and I thought was challenging me was general chemistry. So I was like, okay, I've always been interested in pharmacy. Let me start with chemistry and see where that takes me. Initially, I chose, you know, rec therapy. And then I weighed out my options. And I was like, okay, chemistry is really cool. So I pursued my chemistry major. And I really liked it because, you know, our whole world is made up of chemistry. Just the four years of my chemistry experience, I learned so much that I just had no idea even happened on a day-to-day basis. And it was just so fascinating to me. And then I started doing research in organic chemistry and biochemistry, and I was making peptides for a potential drug that could be inserted into a potential drug for individuals with Alzheimer's disease to slow the progression of Alzheimer's. And that's what really piqued my true interest and love and fascination for STEM. That's when I really found myself pursuing and like wanting to pursue STEM. And it was really cool because then I realized I get to use all the latest technologies. Like I get to innovate solutions to like real world current problems. Like right now with COVID-19, like I think it's so fascinating that scientists just got into a lab and they were able to make a vaccination. And I think it's really cool that I get to work with real world problems that are like in front of our face right now. That's like what fascinates me the most about STEM. Like just since we were born, you can see all of the improvements that have been made through technology, medicine, healthcare, like everything. So I think it's so fascinating. And once I really started research, I was like, wow, like I can make a difference with medicine because that's what I ultimately wanted to go towards. I wasn't much of an inorganic chemistry lover. (laughs) I was more on the biology side. So then I got a concentration in biochem. And I loved organic chemistry. And now I'm in pharmacy school. And then I want to pursue a residency. And then I might go to pharmacology where I can put both of my degrees together and make drugs for current issues that are going around right now or just previous issues. You know, like, I mean, we could go back to like high blood pressure, but we can make a new drug that has less side effects or something like that. Yeah, that's my story. Mainly research got me super engaged into STEM. <laughs> Thank you. That was fantastic. So this first episode features the history of women in STEM, both past and present. And I figured this would be a good way to educate the viewers on how greatly women have propelled science and influenced us individually. But before we begin, I would like to ask the question, what is it like for women of the past in STEM? Eva, would you like to start with this one? Yeah. So For a very long time, women were prevented from even getting any kind of education. And then slowly, as it progressed, like into the 17, 1800s, women were beginning to be allowed to go to college, but they weren't allowed to be faculty members or get research grants or things like that. So not only were they impacted monetarily and generationally that way, but also just the straight up aggression that women have faced 
as being part of a scientific team in the past. And I want to say that that has changed quite a bit. Obviously, women are now allowed to hold all those positions and do all those things. But again, it's the generational thing. Like, had we been educating women the same way as we have been educating men throughout all of history, where would we be instead? That's what I always wonder. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I also even think education in general. What if we never went through the dark ages? Maybe we would have been on the moon in the 1700s or something like that. It's amazing where we could be, like you said, if if we had a more diverse involvement. Shelby, what do you think? I think more recent terms, just because I know a ton of women who have gone from not getting a lot of credit for if they do the same thing that a man does within the workforce, especially engineering as what I have seen, to now it's very easy that a woman can take over as CEO and it's not uncommon. It's not a weird thing to have in the workforce and you see a lot more women leaders nowadays. And I think it's also kind of pushed women to work even harder because we haven't been able to always be given those positions throughout history. Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right, kind of have to play catch up now to get all these opportunities and see that it's becoming more equal because it just hasn't been in the past. I myself don't like to say that you have to prove anything. It's more or less that you should be given the opportunity. But yeah, so Anna, what do you think it was like for women in the past in STEM? so uncomfortable. It had to have been so awkward for them, honestly. (laughs) I think it was a super empowering role that they got to hold. And definitely, I don't know if they even realized the impact they were going to make for the future of women in STEM. But I mean, I'm sure they had so many barriers that they had to go through just to prove themselves, prove themselves successful. Like, I'm sure dirty work was done where, you know, they actually found something very important and that is applicable to our current day, but some probably proposed some sort of science to a male figure and they just stole it and got all the credit. So I think it was probably really tough for women when they first started because they really had to prove themselves and our gender for the rest of us to be as comfortable as we are today in a STEM field. Definitely uncomfortable for them. Bringing up the fact that like men could have stole their ideas and that's. Oh, and it, it absolutely happened. There was some research done for one of our very first immunizations actually. And I can't remember which one it was off the top of my head. It might've been cowpox or something like that. A woman actually discovered it, discovered the immunization, found its efficacy, applied it, did all the research, did the entire thing, was done, presented it to someone, and they took it, and now they have the credit for it. And it's ridiculous because at that time period, women weren't, quote unquote, deserving of being recognized for their intelligence and their ability to actually contribute to science. So yeah, the guys that she presented it to took all the information, gave her no credit, and now they have Nobel Prizes, and they're known in history forever. And it was, all they did was plagiarize, essentially. Wow, well, that makes a lot of sense, especially with everything kind of went unchecked in that time frame. But now, hopefully, we won't have that sort of an issue moving forward. So yeah, I came across an important point brought up in a TED Talk that was given by a woman mechanical engineer. And she proceeded to say that 40% of women leave STEM 
in their first five years of employment. So not only is it hard to get women involved, but it is also tough to keep them around. Why is that? I can definitely take that, being the fact that I'm also mechanical. It's a lot of you get into the workforce and you have all these expectations and there's still a huge generation gap between some of the people in the older stages of the company and all the younger people. And it's like they get in there thinking, oh, we're going to be treated equally because of like nowadays. And then they're not and their expectations aren't held. They're not listened to as much. And a big thing that I have heard from people and also listening to talks is that, you know, women are seen as emotional. And then they also like they have kids and it's like, why do we want to hire someone on if they're married and there's a possibility they got to take pregnancy leave and all this stuff. And then they get treated badly and they don't get all of these like benefit of the doubt, like a man does within the engineering workforce. And it kind of causes them to be like, well, at this point, like I'm tired of fighting for everything. I'll go into something a little bit easier with my degree. Oh, okay. So it's a tenure effect with regards to childbearing, but also like what you're saying is it's also a lag that upper level management is usually someone who is tenure. And usually with respect to that, then most tenure would reflect men right because that's how we've constructed the industry yeah i totally agree with that too is that maybe these industries or these workforces are not designed in a way that they are all inclusive even as hard as we try we don't really achieve that without having diverse population at the top right so and it's harder and harder for women or other you know diverse populations to get to the top and so we don't have these systems that are designed to include everybody. And I also think a huge part of it is representation, is we are just now on the cusp of seeing women CEOs, all these female engineers, you know, things like that. And you and I, Shelby, didn't really grow up seeing a ton of that until I feel like just in the past maybe 10 years, we've been finally seeing this representation. And so that's another reason why we don't see all these women at the top is because they didn't have anyone to look up to for a long time. That makes sense. Yeah, to add on to that, also, like, there's not a ton of us, and I see that even within my school, like, the degree program I'm in, it's, like, nine to one men to women, so it's really hard when you're on a project, and most guys don't assume a girl knows how to use a tool, and it's hard when there's not another girl in the lab for you to talk to and to have, like, that same feeling and connection with, and you're kind of singled out by all these men, but also, it's not necessarily their fault, too, because they didn't see that growing up and then you know their parents kind of like pushed it into one way and gave them this whole idea like you know like men are the strong people of like the world you know they got to take over and they don't understand like oh hey this is all changing and we need to kind of push in both directions with both men and women yeah I totally agree I kind of have that similar experience but on the opposite side of that I was in the civil engineering department and when I was going through the program there wasn't a lot of women. And if there were, they were more on the environmental side of it. So I wasn't really exposed to, I guess, the right amount of women in my classes. And I definitely saw that too. Well, I mean, it's good because at least there's guys out there that are now like noticing that. I think I would like to say that men of this generation are a lot more keen to that than in previous generations. So I guess we're kind of on a nice little moral arc and I hope it exponentiates. So 
as much as COVID has impacted everyone's life day to day, if you look at the light, which is really hard to look at, but there is some light, I feel like it has woken a lot of people up to the capability of women in STEM. I know like I think today's society has kind of progressed towards maturing, I'd say. And like they have recognized, oh, women can be as smart as males. And you know, now there's more opportunities for women to hold higher positions to prove themselves. And there's also a lot of organizations that focus on diverse groups, whether it's like women in science or like, you know, African-Americans in science or African-American women in science, like, like as a whole society has really come together and they try to recognize a lot of the participants in STEM that weren't as recognized as before. I know, for example, in pharmacy, I am in an organization right now. I'm the vice president of SNAFA, which is the Student National Pharmaceutical Association. <laughs> and it's dedicated <laughs> to recognizing diverse groups of individuals within the field of pharmacy, whether they're pharmacists or whether they're just in drug production or just like you don't have to be a pharmacist to necessarily be a part of this organization. I really personally, just being the vice president, I've had a lot of hands-on experience with having diverse people come and talk to my program and my cohort. And it's been really eye-opening just to see like all of the stuff that we don't even think about on a day-to-day -day basis, like just whether you're a male or you're white or something like that. It has just been really eye-opening that there's so many different organizations that really touch upon what other diverse groups of people have to offer to every field, whether it's pharmacy, engineering, anything. Yes, I totally agree. So thanks, everyone. Now that we laid the groundwork on women in STEM in the past, let's kind of lighten the mood and, and talk about our role models. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, I would love to start off with an example that I'm sure most are familiar with. And we don't have to cover you know, the most prevalent women in history, but I thought I would start with someone who everyone's pretty familiar with. And I first heard of her back in high school chemistry, but it didn't really sink in until later in my years of studying physics when I came across the famous image of the Solvay Conference, if you know what I'm talking about, Eva, the Solvay Conference of 1927, where you had famous physicists like Ernest Rutherford, Max Planck, Albert Einstein, and, and others but one particular person actually caught my eye, and that was the only woman in the crowd, and that was Marie Curie. So she was a fantastic intellect and a true pioneer to scientific discovery. In a time where women were not looked upon as, sadly, anything other than a housewife, Marie showed that no matter the crowd, societal views, or pressures, that you can succeed and make breakthroughs in STEM. So Marie was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize all the way back in 1902 and is still the first person and the only woman to win the Nobel Prize twice. To add to the accolade, she is still the only person to win the Nobel Prize into scientific fields as well. So she was widely known for her work in radioactivity. And because of this, Marie discovered many elements, including radium and polonium. Her work with radium propelled the nuclear theories and experiments of Ernest Rutherford, one of the men in the Solvay Conference, and helped others develop medical technology to attack cancer cells. And there's other applications as well. 
So she is my female hero of the past, not just because of the accolades, but because she was truly a selfless person. Marie risked her own life studying radioactivity for the future benefits of humanity. So starting with Shelby, who comes to your mind as a female hero of STEM in the past? And then we can go around the room. So mine's not very well known. She's actually from my university. Her name's Sandra Magnus, but she was the first woman from our school to be recognized as an alumni of influence, which is a huge thing at our school. There's only eight people like that. And she went to space three different times and she's worked for Boeing and she's worked for Lockheed. Now she works at the Pentagon and just the stuff she talks about and how she did all this like 20, almost 30 years ago. Like it's crazy when, you know, we're talking about the history and how like I would have it so much easier than what she would. And yet she was like super adamant about everything and pushed really hard to get what she wanted. And so I see her as like a great hero and a great inspiration. So she went to space three times. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> how about you, Eva? So when I think of like female scientists who I think are really also heroes, the person that comes to mind is Rachel Carson, the author of Silent Spring who wrote about DDT and how pesticides were causing birth defects and all that. And she took it to Congress and, you know, has probably saved thousands upon thousands of lives because of this research that she did in this book that she was not afraid to publish and that she was not afraid to push her beliefs and say, hey, listen, everyone, I'm right about this. And I know I'm right. And you need to listen to me as a scientist and as a human to protect the world, the environment and other humans. And I just think that that is so cool, like the impact that she was able to make with her book and her research. Yeah, I'm definitely familiar with her. I learned about her in environmental engineering and in sustainability. So she left a huge mark on humanity. Yeah, and was able to change the way that we do things right now in the future. So, you know, we'll probably be going back to her influence years and years to come to see this is a stuff Rachel Carson was warning us about in the 90s or whatever. And you know, we've known about it for years and how are we dealing with it now? Yeah. And even taking all three of the examples that we threw out here and just taking what they did and for the women out there wanting to be in STEM and just, you know, jotting down what were their procedures to be so successful and influential? I think that's maybe even more important than the accolades themselves is how did they break the boundaries? Well, thank you for your historic figures of the past. I would like to switch gears and talk about people we know of the present and elaborate on some organizations and efforts to get more women excited and involved in STEM. I'll open up the floor and pose the question before we talk about specific people. What is being done in the science community to get more women involved and what organizations are making that happen? Eva, would you like to start off? Uh, sure. So I am pretty involved with APS, the American Physical Society, and just the organizations that are within APS have been hugely influential to me, especially like they have QWIP, which is the Conference for Undergraduate Women in Physics, which I went to that as a freshman. And I just thinking about the lessons that I learned there ever since, because, you know, you meet so many amazing women there. So that's one of them. They have a couple of panels that you can be on as a woman for APS. And then the other 
organization I'd like to plug is the one that I work for, Mira, right now at Northern Arizona University, which is also a diversity center. It doesn't just do research, but it's a diversity center as well. So they have the most amazing, smartest women I've ever met as research professors there. So I'm just happy to be part of that. So that was my shameless Mira plug there. <laughs> that was great. Thank you so much, Eva. That was really good. Shelby, what you got for us? So <laughs> I'm definitely shouting out the Society of Women Engineers. They're amazing. I'm actually president of the chapter here at my university, but it is the best thing I've ever been a part of. You meet so many women of just all kinds of different backgrounds and histories, and you go to conferences throughout the year and you get to communicate with people like in the professional world who also are in still in the Society of Women Engineers and they really help you out. They come and talk to our club and they give us a lot of advice about, you know, what it's like in the professional world and everything else like that. And I'll also give a shout out to NASA, which I know I see this from a lot of companies, is that they form like groups within the company for like women in a certain area. So I know whenever I graduate, I can join like the Women in Engineers Club with my division because, you know, there's not very many of us and they want us to make sure we have each other. We have these connections in case we want to grow, if we need recommendations, if we want to transfer around the company. And I would definitely like shout out. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Shelby. It's really good to always plug NASA whenever it's needed. Okay, Anna, now I'll go to you. What is being done in the science community today to get more women involved? And then what organizations are you working with that tackle these issues? As much as COVID has impacted everyone's life day to day, if you look at the light, which is really hard to look at, but there is some light, I feel like it has woken a lot of people up to the capability of women in STEM. I know like, I think today's society has kind of progressed towards maturing, I'd say. And like, they have recognized, oh, women can be as smart as males. And, you know, now there's more opportunities for women to hold higher positions to prove themselves. And there's also a lot of organizations that focus on diverse groups, whether it's like women in science or like, you know, African-Americans in science or African-American women in science, like, like as a whole society has really come together and they try to recognize a lot of the participants in STEM that weren't as recognized as before. I know, for example, in pharmacy, I am in an organization right now. I'm the vice president of SNAFA, which is the Student National Pharmaceutical Association. (laughs) And it's dedicated (laughs) to recognizing diverse groups of individuals within the field of pharmacy, whether they're pharmacists or whether they're just in drug production or just like you don't have to be a pharmacist to necessarily be a part of this organization. I really personally, just being the vice president, I've had a lot of hands-on experience with having diverse people come and talk to my program and my cohort. And it's been really eye-opening just to see like all of the stuff that we don't even think about on a day-to-day basis, like just whether you're a male or you're white or something like that. It has just been really eye-opening that there's so many different organizations that really touch upon what other diverse groups of people have to offer to every field, whether it's pharmacy, engineering, anything. Thanks, Anna. Well, one thing I've always noticed at colleges is that they have clubs for women in in STEM fields, but also there are academic societies or sororities that you can join 
that will group you with like-minded individuals with similar motives. The Women in Science Society is a great example of a collective effort to help women be successful in STEM education and their careers. So to find out more about them, head to their website, www.womeninsciencesociety.org. So if it's cool with everyone, I would like to move on to the final piece of the first segment and discuss present superheroes in STEM. So something that really resonates with me is the data that comes from the U.S. Census Bureau and in terms of percentages of women involvement in STEM careers. Given that nearly half of the U.S. workforce is women, we only see about 27 to 28% in STEM. Although we have seen a 237% increase since 1970, it still has a long way to go. To achieve an equal playing field, the numbers are going to have to nearly double. But out of the 27% rising, I found a few idols of my own that intrigued me to learn new topics and stay curious in my day-to-day. I'll introduce mine, and then I will respectively ask the guest stars to do the same. So these two directly come to my mind when I think of gifted and influential women in their respective fields. Both of them I came across in my favorite podcast, Star Talk, uh, that is hosted by Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. So first is Jana Levin. Jana is the Claire Tao Professor of Physics and Astronomy at Barnard College of Columbia University. So as a Guggenheim Fellow, Jana has contributed to an understanding of black holes, the cosmology of extra dimensions, which is anything above our normal three dimensions. And that ties her work into string theory for just a reference. And then gravitational waves in the shape of space-time. So her latest book, and one that's on my to-buy list, is Black Hole Blues and Other Songs from Outer Space. Now, Neil deGrasse Tyson says that way better with a darker voice, but I I can't match that. (laughs) But it's the inside story on the discovery of the century, which is the sound of space-time ringing from the collision of two black holes over about a billion years ago. So that's Jana. And my second mention is Dr. Heather Boleyn, and she's all of a star talk, and she's a neuroscientist, clinical psychologist, and associate clinical professor of psychiatry and neuroscience at the Aiken School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Now, that's a really huge mouthful, but I could go on and on about her accolades, but let me just explain what she researches. So she explores the neural basis of impulsive and compulsive psychiatric and neurological disorders with the aim of developing novel treatments. So she is also interested in brain basis of consciousness, dynamic unconscious processes, and creativity, some of which I may elaborate later on in the show. So that's Heather Berlin. But I want to back up real quick and explain the importance of giving out our idols and these specific examples of women in STEM. And the reason is, is that it shows you that anything is possible when you set your mind to it, right? And also the fact that women are now covering more and more subcategories in STEM, and that will continue to get better as time goes on. I mean, as you can tell, my two idols are in totally different perspectives. One does cosmology and the other one does neuroscience. So let's go around the room and talk about current idols. Eva, would you like to start? Sure. So I can think of a number of idols that I have had as professors 
for sure. Dr. Mukherjee, we know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think of her a lot. I think of my advisor currently, Dr. Jen Martinez, who has had her hands on every single thing, like subject that you could imagine. She's truly a master of every science. I don't even know how to describe her. She's a very impressive person. But then I think of another example I have is more famous Donna Strickland, who just got the Nobel Prize in Physics, I think, in 2018 for her work on nonlinear optics. And as a physicist, we are finding now more than ever what nonlinear optics can do as a tool. And it's just so amazing that this work that she'd been doing her whole entire life finally got recognized, you know, when she was much, much later down the line. And, you know, all of these discoveries that she had made are, were using today. And I had the privilege to see her speak at a conference a couple of years ago, and it was a really amazing talk. And, you know, it never came up even that she was a woman <laughs> and that didn't even matter because of the amazing discoveries that she had done. It, everyone in the room was just so in awe of the science that she had produced that they weren't even looking at her. <laughs> they were looking at this beautiful nonlinear optics. And yeah, so that was a really cool experience to get to see her talk. One thing I've always really liked about physics is that whenever you start diving into the topics, it really doesn't matter who makes the contributions, whatever background you are. We're not focusing on who's doing it. It's more like what we're getting out of it. So Shelby, what do you got? So I have a lot of people that were holding the president's position at my university before me and the Society of Women Engineers chapter here. And they were some pretty influential women just by how much of a leader they were. And I don't have like specific names, but I also have the couple of women I work with in my division who are amazing and who have always reached out to me after like presentations I've given on different projects I've worked on who always give me such encouragement. And I see them as just some pretty amazing people. And I look up to them a lot because that's really important, especially in an engineering field to always have people to lean on. Definitely. It keeps you inspired to keep pushing on. There's a lot of self-inspiration that has to go with it, but I mean, it always helps to have an outside source. So I definitely agree with that. Well, thanks everyone for your examples of past and current women in STEM. So let's jump to commercial break, but when we return, we plan to focus on why women in STEM is important and what the future looks like with more female involvement. Have you ever been standing in the shower looking at the ingredients on your shampoo bottle and noticed that water is always the first ingredient? Well, I have. After a little research, I discovered that shampoo is over 80% water, which is kind of like dumping bottled water on your head while you're standing in a shower. And that's why I'm excited that I found Seabar, a disposable plastic free hair care line that cleans up ocean trash with every purchase. Not only does Seabar pick up one pound of ocean trash for every item ordered, but their salon quality shampoo and conditioner concentrates come from refillable applicators, kind of like deodorant tubes. Just twist them up, rub it on over your hair a couple times, and then just lather it up like you normally would. My favorite part is how long they last. I've personally been using the same Seabar for three months now, and I've barely used any. So not only does it help save the environment, it's also effective, efficient, and most importantly, it saves me money. If you would like to try a better way to wash your hair, head on over to cbar.com and use our special code STEAM for 15% off your first order. Cbar, shampoo done right 
for you and the planet. Welcome back to the second segment of Women in STEM. I want to kick off this segment with a question that I think is the main topic for discussion. And I would also like to get my guest stars insights on this. So let me just jump to it. Why is women in STEM important? And obviously we know it's important, but there are many underlying reasons why. So Shelby, would you mind tackling this first? Yeah. Uh, one thing I have noticed is, you know, women are a little bit more emotional when it comes to things, but that's also very, very important. One thing I've noticed in my field being aerospace, you know, you go to space missions, most like men just kind of see it word for word by the book. Everything has to be exactly like this. And I've noticed a lot of women will take in the accounts of like, oh, well, what do we have to do to prepare for this person's like body, this person's health? And that is a huge thing that I think has been slightly overlooked at the very beginning of when aerospace engineering was finally taking off. And now it's a huge deal. And that's like a lot of training goes into going to space. And I think women can, their brains work so much differently than men. I mean, of course you look at biology and I think meshing those both together makes just any kind of STEM field just progress that much further because you have two different ways of looking at a problem and two different ways of figuring it out, which most of the time makes it work a lot faster and easier. If I reflect, yeah, men are definitely by the book. So having that interesting and outside perspective will get more light shed onto the important issues of, like you said, people's health in space. It's kind of a big deal, but I know men might not miss it, but like, I don't think they would focus on it as much as literally just the mission critical stuff. So great point. Eva, what you got? I'll just speak on it much more generally is that when we're talking about diversity in STEM and well, we have to look at uh, diversity of experience too. So a, a man and a woman will have vastly different experiences in their education and their upbringing and all that, which is what compounds into it being useful, right? So it, it's only useful if we are different. And it's about, I think, accepting those differences and realizing that the differences are assets versus something to butt heads about, right? So when I think of like a woman on a space mission versus a man on a space mission, I, I don't know if it's so clear that the, there's a binary there, but a woman has had different, you know, two individual people have had vastly different experiences from each other. So I just think the more perspectives that you can get, the more different perspectives you can get, the more of a workable dynamic team you'll have. Yeah, the faster you'll be able to solve a problem, especially in when something critical happens like that, especially in, you know, in space, but other, I mean, not even just focusing on space and in many different realms of STEM, <laughs> but yeah, who doesn't love space? <laughs> For me, unconscious bias comes to my mind. Everyone has an unconscious bias. And if you get a saturated room with a similar background, then unconscious bias tends to never get checked. No one can question the norm then if it's just a saturated room. So let me back up and define because most people don't know what unconscious bias really is. So unconscious biases are attitudes that are held subconsciously and affect the way individuals feel and think about others around them. So subconscious attitudes aren't necessarily as well-formed as coherent thoughts, 
when we are conscious, but they can be very ingrained. Many people have unconscious biases that have been with them since childhood, the upbringing thing that you brought up, which they absorbed these by observing their families, their social groups and institutional environments. So it's all around you through your entire life. For instance, think of a male dominated engineering team working on a design that may implement a facility that isn't friendly to a woman. Now, there are many instances that can lead to bias, but say this team is developing a cleaning robot that resembles the shape of a woman's body. That is a bias at play that goes unchecked. Like I tried to make it as easily applicable to everybody. So there's no reason I can think of why the robot should have sexual features of a woman when the sheer purpose is just to clean, right? And that can push all realms of academia and the workforce. This bias also extends well past physical features with regards to sexuality and and gender. Bias comes from psychological or emotional dogma. For example, and I'll quote, this isn't me, but I'll quote, a woman is more likely to be treated for depression. Oh, well, she might be crazy. Therefore, she can't hold a chair on the board of advisors. That's absolutely unrealistic. So here are the real trends to that. Yes, women are more likely to get treated for signs of depression and anxiety. There's statistics to show that. But what about the vast majority of men? They actually let that stuff surmount. They don't go get treated. And I think you know what happens. Worldwide suicide rates are the highest among men. And it just goes to show that you need diverse opinions to inhibit the use of dogma. And I just tried to show that in many different ways. So STEM fields, in essence, like what Eva was saying, they they can't afford groundbreaking achievements to be stunted by beliefs and false ideology. And that's just not how progress truly works. You know, the earth is full of different human beings. To get equal progress, we need to stump on conscious bias. And how do we do it? Diverse innovation. So that is one of the many reasons why I think women in STEM are vital to the advancement of humanity as a whole. Would anyone like to expand on that? Yeah, I can talk about kind of like the whole men ideal with like the suicide and stuff. That is so common and people do not realize it. And it's a big thing at our school. Like it's a very hard school we go to. And you would be surprised the amount of guys are like, oh, I can't go to the doctor. Like, you know, that's not a manly thing to do. And I'm like, uh, no, (laughs) (laughs) that's not just because you're a man or because you're a woman, you experience a certain thing. And I have definitely been told before, like, oh, you know, it's just hormones, like get over it. And we were like, uh, no, thank you. Because you have the exact same things going on in your head too, sometimes. And I think the whole stigma of just, you know, men's got to be the more powerful, like the stronger gender and women are kind of have to be the more submissive gender really is kind of messed up still. And I think it's definitely gotten better within the past, like 15, 20 years, but I still see a lot of that within just the workforce and just like with friends and everything else too. Yeah. Right. And I want to say, like, can you imagine how far we would be had everyone across the board was able to display outwardly compassion towards each other, which is really what it boils down to, is that, okay, so 
maybe we think traditionally women are more compassionate than men, but it's not the case. And it's just, you know, I've had very uncompassionate women, you know, in my life knocking me down. And it's more useful to look at every person as an individual versus saying, okay, well, we know these stereotypes of men and women are, you know, not really useful. And we just have to consider a whole person as a whole person without disregarding their gender, but including it in identity, but not making it their entire identity. You know, if doctors were compassionate towards their male patients who are experiencing depression or their male friends were more compassionate when their friends are telling them that they're feeling like this, then, you know, we would be able to help each other regardless of our gender or our stereotypes or our implicit bias if we just were more compassionate. Yeah, I'll take the scientific approach to this. If everybody just took a huge step back and just realized that we're humans, and if they studied a little bit of DNA, we're not that far apart. (laughs) Not at all. So it's better just to... treat everyone with the same rigor than to have something that could be extremely influential to all of humanity be reflected only upon, say, a male design or the way that you look, it resembles the way that you look rather than as a human. Okay, so let's jump over to Anna. Why do you think it's important for women to be in STEM? Say you were to go to an emergency department and you're a woman. Like I know personally when there's some issues I feel way more comfortable having a woman doctor where I'm sure most men are very comfortable having male doctors treat what their concern is, what they're coming in and presenting to the emergency department or something that day. So I think it's really important that women get the recognition that they deserve because they have helped so many other women or I just feel like we can be a little more nurturing (laughs) So I think it's super important for the progression of literally any STEM organization to have women because we can get a point across in some ways males can't and males can get a point across in some ways we can't. But I think as long as we're holding um, leadership positions and just showing our worthiness in the field, I think it's really cool that we can now be as successful as a male. I know for an example, I looked up a statistic actually earlier because I was just curious So approximately 57% of patients that go to an emergency department are women. And I was reading into a study and it was really interesting. So women that are presented at a hospital with a cardiac issue, such as like a heart attack, women that were treated by female doctors were more likely to survive. Like when women doctors were treating the women presenting with the issue, than when a male treated them. Because I mean, it's just, it's based off of comfort, but it's just important that women are in science because we provide comfort to other women or males and vice versa for males to women and males. But it's nice that we have the option to be able to seek out a woman doctor or something. That was really good. Let's talk about the future. Now, as I'd mentioned before, STEM currently has 27% of women involvement. But I know we hope for more of a diverse crowd you know, in the future, not just in the entirety, but in the sub-factions of STEM as well. Like the field that I'm in, it would be fantastic to see more women structural engineers in the future. So starting with Shelby, what do you think the future holds for women in STEM? 
I think there's going to be a lot more dominance. In my opinion, I think a lot of women are getting tired of being a part of a team and still not being treated right, even though they're put on like a specific project and expected to be that way. And I've gone to a lot of conferences and listened and more women are likely to push that leadership boundary. And I've seen a lot of women take over that because they want to be the ones in charge because they want to make sure each person is getting exactly what they're supposed to be and no one's treated unfairly. And I think that's great. And I see that taking off even more exponentially in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. And the aggressiveness, you know, like how we talked about how women are compassionate, but yeah, they're also can be just as aggressive as men. So I'm excited to see what happens in the future. Eva, what do you have? Yeah, I totally agree with Shelby. The women in leadership is going to be huge. Like our generation now is reaching these positions where we are getting into leadership and we can see that, okay, we need to foster these younger scientists, maybe women in their undergrad or women in high school to continue their science education. I think that's going to really come from our generation and, you know, maybe even one generation above us. I really realized the value of retaining women in STEM. Thanks, Eva. Anna, what's your take? Oh my God, so much. Now that we have proven to society that we are fully capable of doing anything a male does, I think more leadership positions are going to be offered to women. I think women are going to now be able to feel more comfortable being heard and kind of back to the immunization thing. I think women now can comfortably do their research and present it to people and know that they're going to get the credit for it. So I think women are going to be offering a whole lot more to science just because now we feel way more comfortable, way more accepted. Women are becoming way more prominent in science. Now there's mentors for young women coming into science where there's a woman who has been working as an engineer for 20 years. She can say, oh, based on when I started to now, like we have gained so much respect. So I think just by the comfort level that women experience now just going into science is going to improve the chances of women being able to do so much more for society as a whole, just because we have the opportunities to work in a lab where before we weren't deserving of being in a lab. Now we are. So we can do more studies, present more research, have more people active in research clinical studies and think in 20 years, there's going to be so much more findings and you're going to read like women's names in research journals and not just males, just because now we have that comfort level of feeling accepted and heard, which is cool. Hmm. I think I'll take a worldwide perspective on this one and talk about the benefits of providing women also proper education. And this is all across the board. This isn't just the United States. So I'll throw out an example. So Bangladesh is a fantastic example of what women education can do for a country, not only just, I guess, a country, but also holistically. So in the 1960s, a Bangladeshi woman was having an average of seven children in her lifetime, and 25% of the seven children would die before the age of five, and only one of the seven would learn how to read and write. So the life expectancy of a Bangladeshi was roughly 45 years of age, and the average GDP was literally the lowest in the world. So finally, there was a family planning program that relied on women receiving education, 
and then with also contraceptive supplies from other countries pouring in and healthcare plans, they began to develop. And this created a cascading effect. So once implemented, the birth and infant mortality rates rapidly declined there, while the nation's GDP, or the gross domestic product, and income per capita soared throughout the years. So Bangladesh is actually now on a trend that could put them into a developing country category by 2024. This gives many benefits, as you can already tell. More women can go to work rather than stay at home, so you have double the capacity to make money within your household. And now they're not staying at home. and They're not working low-income jobs. There's also a more diversified outlook, like we talked about, in innovation across the board. Because of GDP trends, more countries will be interested in their foreign trade. And this allows goods and innovations of women to flow worldwide, which just influences more people, women in particular, in return. Also, in the face of climate change, an increasing population usually spells bad news for global efforts to fight climate catastrophes. The trends are obvious. One thing that is absolutely clear with data is that the more involved women become within their fields, their careers and education, the lower the birth rates become. So this ultimately is a pressure decrease on global influences across the board that invoke global warming. So the whole aspect of women becoming more educated is a win for all of humanity. Bangladesh is a great example, and there are many others like that, such as Thailand and South Korea. So I'm hopeful that this can continue across the board, and it is tried and true, and with time, I think the process can become more finely tuned for a more diverse STEM future. So definitely getting women a, I guess, effective education is what I look forward to seeing. Yeah, you make a great point that it literally benefits all of humanity when we all get the opportunities that we deserve. Yeah, and that's a perspective that I think a lot of people don't realize is that maybe this girl goes to college and then she goes to grad school and then she makes a discovery. But it's so much bigger than that, you know, and that that just that global perspective that you're talking about is really hugely important. And I think a lot of people gets lost in a lot of people. So that's really important to talk about. Yeah, STEM brings us advancement in understanding, but also advancement in technology. Across the board, it's completely beneficial. So having different minds into the mix is always a plus. It's never a negative. I, I can't see a single negative out of out of any situation, whenever you involve more people in trying to do a collective effort. I think everything that was said was great. Kind of tying back on how different perspectives of just men and women are great. You know, each country has their own perspective on anything that's going on in the world. And I think just getting women involved and having two separate opinions and ideas just within a certain country or a certain city somewhere is great. And the fact that we're getting more minds into it all is just going to really propel society in the future. Agreed. I would like to bring us to the final treat of the podcast where I'm going to ask the guest stars, starting with Eva, to give the people at home watching or listening to this some advice. Now, I'm sure there are some women that are listening who are in STEM fields in college or they're working or considering STEM for their future. And also, I can't forget the supporting cast because there are parents, loved ones, pupils, friends, and coworkers that interact with women on a daily basis. 
And like we said, everything, like the whole surroundings that we encounter throughout our life are extremely influential to us, especially with our biases. So this advice can be applied to everybody. So Eva, what would you like to say? So I think a really big lesson that I learned was that you're allowed to have weaknesses and you don't have to be perfect at everything. And it's what you do, turning those weaknesses into assets, whether that be, you know, networking to get a better understanding of a concept and being able to reach out to somebody who knows more than you. Yeah, I think that's a really important lesson for people to have is that, especially women who I see uh, tend to find in STEM fields like to be perfectionists and you don't have to do that. It's okay to have weaknesses. Yeah, I think that's some good advice that I have learned. Okay, my take home message and main advice for women that are wanting to enter the STEM field or are in the STEM field are currently studying to be in the STEM field, I want them to not feel afraid or get uncomfortable with their potential. Like back to what I was explaining earlier, I felt that I did not have the potential to pursue a pharmacy degree. Like I didn't have the potential to get my doctorate because all the steps that were required of me beforehand, I didn't think I was capable of completing. And oftentimes you're going to find that the opportunities that you're presented with, you feel like you can't achieve them. So people look at that as a boulder, whether it's just based off of being intimidated that it's a male dominant field, or you just don't find yourself intelligent enough to be able to pursue something. But I just want to give you the advice from someone who once thought that way, that you really can achieve any barrier that's put in front of you. Like I said, just being intimidated or just not believing in yourself because women, I know you can do it. Yeah. Just my take home message is never let fear get in your way of following your dreams just because you are so much more capable than you think you are. And, you know, when you walk into a chemistry classroom on your first day, your freshman year, and it's 90% males, who cares? People are going to be running to be your partner because they're going to realize that you know way more than them. And everyone's going to be jealous that they have this girl as their partner where the other guy is keg standing for their frat on a Thursday night. You know what I mean? So don't be intimidated by the field and just know that you are fully capable of pursuing anything that you dream to pursue. All right. Well, thank you, Eva and Anna. Shelby, what would you like to say? I would say to always ask questions. I have been kind of always been told how great that was, how I'm constantly asking questions. I go to my professors a ton. (laughs) I mean, you know, no one's ever going to understand everything you're taught. And also just to keep ambition because, you know, I've been told by both men and women that I could never do what I'm doing right now. And it's just the fact that I'm like, you know, nobody can decide that but me. And I think more people need to accept that you're in charge of your own future. And as long as you keep going and you push as hard as you can, you'll make it. That is really good. (laughs) I don't know if I can really follow that one up very well. (laughs) And I know, (laughs) I also know that I'm not a woman. So my advice isn't (laughs) directed towards women in particular, but instead I would like to address the influencers and more accurately, the educators. Most women lose interest in STEM by the age of 15 and that's high school, right? So we need to closely examine bias amongst our educators. 
teachers or future teachers out there listening, it is so important that you directly and indirectly encourage and not discourage young women. You may not guide their ship, but you can serve as a magnificent navigational system. If you set out with the intent to spike curiosity without a notion of gender or race or what have you, you will inspire to no end. So without constructive parenting, education is the next line of defense for building a great future for all humanity. So please educators, take a step back and teach for the common good. So thank you everyone. This was really great. Thanks for coming on to the show. It was literally a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for the invitation. <laughs> thank you. Like what you hear? Do us a favor by giving us a follow, review, and share our content on social media. Everything STEAM is conveniently on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Facebook, and TikTok. You can listen to our episodes that will feature on platforms such as Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. If you, the listener, have any content suggestions or want to be a guest star on the show, reach out to Everything Steam via social media, our Contact Us page on our website, or email us at all lowercase everythingsteam3.14 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and stay curious. That is all for this episode of Woke Talk Podcast. Now I'd like to give a big shout out to my guest stars for sharing their knowledge and vast expertise. I would also love to mention my amazing team here at Woke Talk Podcast for their collective efforts to make this show happen. Currently, we are looking for someone who would take over our social media marketing and help us out with the editing process. If you're interested or know someone who may be interested, please reach out to us at woketalkpodcast at gmail.com or DM us on any of our social media platforms. To wrap up, we hope you took away important information in regards to the sheer importance of having increased involvement of women in STEM as we move forward as a society in tackling tough challenges such as climate change, energy supply, artificial intelligence, asteroid mining, and public transportation. We will need diverse skill sets and differing perspectives. Remember, encourage rather than discourage because you could be influencing a future Nobel laureate. For further information, our guest stars provided their organizations that they work with to provide learning and engagement opportunities. Eva works with Mira at Northern Arizona University, as she previously mentioned in the podcast. They provide diverse research opportunities for high schoolers, undergrads, graduates, and postdocs in material science and other relative applications. To find out more, head to their website, mira.nau.edu. Anna also mentioned her organization, SNAPFA, S-N-P-H-A, the Student National Pharmaceutical Association. If you're interested in pharmacy, their initiative is focusing on bringing diversity and equal opportunity within their industry. To learn more about them and what they have to offer, head to snapfa.org. Shelby is involved with Missouri University of Science and Technology's Society of Women Engineers. Her organization does a bunch of outreach events and community service to educate and inspire our society. You can find out more about their initiatives and community outreach on their website at swt.mst.edu. To directly access these links, or if you want to personally connect with our guest stars, head to our website, www.woketalkpodcast.com. Once again, thank you all for listening to Woke Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Stanford. And as always, stay woke.
Folk Talk Podcast would like to give a shout out to Anchor by Spotify for sponsoring our podcast along with Ben Sound Music for providing our show with intro, outro, and advertisement background rhythm.